0: Hello and a very warm welcome to you. Thank you for joining us at Emmanuel this Sunday. You may be in Shoreham, you may be in North Hove or South Hove or at the Clarendon Centre in Central Brighton. Good to have you with us. My name's Joel. We're in the book of Genesis. We're looking at the life of Jacob and today it's chapter 32, uh, a very famous story. Uh, You may remember some of the details. Let's look at this story together. We're going to spend a couple of weeks on it, in fact, because it's got so much to teach us. Let's have the reading right now.
1: Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said,
2: This is God's camp.
1: So he called the name of that place, Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them,
2: Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favour in your sight.
1: And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, If
2: Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape.
1: And Jacob said,
2: O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good, and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude.
1: So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milking camels and their calves, forty cows and ten bulls, twenty female donkeys and ten male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants,
2: Pass on ahead of me, and put a space between drove and drove.
1: He instructed the first,
2: When Esau my brother meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are present, sent to my lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us.
1: He likewise instructed the second, and the third, and all who followed the droves.
2: You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought I may appease him with a present that goes ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me.
1: So the present passed on ahead of him and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. But then he said,
0: Let me go, for the day
2: has broken. I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? Jacob. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed.
1: Then Jacob asked him,
2: Please tell me your name. Why is it that you ask my name?
1: And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying,
2: For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered.
1: The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh.
0: One possible way of summarizing God's goal in our lives is that he wants to help us trust Him. You could boil it right down to that. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uh, puts it that way. In Galatians chapter five verse 16, he says, "The only thing that matters is faith that works itself out by love, Faith that, that works by love. That's, that's the goal. Faith, God's target in the lives of his children, those who know him, know his son Jesus, is our trust, our confidence in him, our ability to believe him, to genuinely exercise living, confident faith in him, trusting him. Simple as that. You see this in the way that he worked amongst us when when God became flesh and gathered disciples and taught them. The thing it seems to me he was particularly intent upon was teaching them to trust him, to trust the Lord. It was the most likely reason for him to rebuke them. If he ever had to speak a word of correction, it was mostly because they were not trusting much. Why why are you afraid, he would say. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? And when he commended people, it was most often for their faith it seems that other considerations came second. This was the main thing he was keen to see and encourage amongst his disciples. And it's the same now. This is God's great concern. It's his chief desire, it seems, in our lives. The thing he wants to see fulfilled amongst us. And it's interesting to see how in the case of Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, this seems to have landed pretty well when he writes in his own letter towards the end of his life, I suppose, in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, this, is, this is Peter being a good disciple of his master, the Lord Jesus. He, he, he's talking to believers and saying, If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, Peter says, more precious than gold, That perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter has learned that what the Lord wants from us is our confidence, our trust, our faith and uh, and he's he's kind of channeling his master. He's expressing the same uh, particular focus he learned from the Lord Jesus himself. Now, Jacob, we may have learned already if you've been with us, he's not particularly impressive in this area. I wouldn't see Jacob at this stage of his life as an example of faith necessarily. There are certain giants of faith in scripture. Jacob does get named as one of the giants of faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, where there's this this fabulous list that the writer to the Hebrews gives to us of of all of the great heroes and heroines of faith through the stories of God's dealings with people. Jacob does get a mention, but it's interesting to me. He he mentions Jacob as as what happened when he was dying. (laughs) Jacob, when dying, blessed all of his sons as he leaned upon his staff. Jacob's moment of, you know, top of the range faith. When Jacob was on his A game, it was, it was on his deathbed or on his death staff. He's, he's lived his life still growing, still needing to develop, still catching up with others perhaps in terms of his ability to show implicit confidence in God. And I think we see some of that battle in these chapters of Jacob's life. We see the tension, the tussle in his own heart between real contented faith and terrible unbelief or, or the struggle, the doubt, the double-mindedness that, that seems to characterise so much of his story. We see it here, for example, in the fact that right at the top of the chapter, we've got Jacob meeting with angels, angels that are uh, sent uh, to meet with him. and And, and Jacob is 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 celebrating he's enthusiastic this is god's camp he says he's once again not for the first time having the kind of encounter with the supernatural with, with with angelic beings that many of us would dream of some of us would be terrified of all of us would would you would expect never forget we would remember for the rest of our lives in fact all of us you might expect would be transformed by this experience into becoming mighty men and women of faith because well of course I'm of course I'm strong in faith if I've met an angel of course I believe of course I trust I've got no problem trusting now I've seen angels thank you very much I I will never struggle with faith no Jacob within a few verses within a few lines we see faith fear taking hold of him again. You see down in verse 7, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed despite everything. And this, by the way, isn't the first extraordinary sign of God's favour, God's company and presence in his life. All t- up till now, we've been seeing numerous examples of God's willingness to intervene on Jacob's behalf to speak words of comfort and encouragement and promise to Jacob. God has so got Jacob's back. God is so involved on Jacob's behalf. He's in his corner. He's for him. He's watching out for him. Jacob's got surely every reason to rest secure. And yet, at the word of Esau, his brother approaching him, Terror grips him again. He was greatly afraid and distressed. This is extreme language. The Bible's putting it in severe terms. He was greatly afraid and distressed. A certain kind of anxiety gripped him. A certain kind of anxiety that simply cannot coexist with real faith. There's, There's something missing here. There's a deficiency, it would seem, in Jacob's confidence, Jacob's peaceful trust in God's favour upon his life. God wants to train Jacob and God wants to train you in this key quality that we learn to peacefully trust him and by doing so overcome the, the horrors of anxiety that can so grip our lives. So this is directly relevant to you today and tomorrow morning. This is relevant to your Relationships and family and finances and health and future, because you will keep again and again having your Esau's. Your your causes for anxiety will come at you repeatedly. How do you deal with it? How do we find access to the contentment that God wants for us? God wants to teach us through Jacob's story. Let's start by asking a question. What I'll do is ask, I think, three key questions as we go through this. The first question why is this important to God? Why why does God so seem fixed on this as a target, as a key goal, faith, trust? Well, first of all, it's important to say that our unbelief towards God is deeply dishonouring to him. God is not honoured by those who effectively cause him to be seen as deceptive, as untruthful. If you're saying in your heart, I just I just can't trust you, I can't believe you, you're accusing him of something you shouldn't. He, he is the God who cannot lie, as Paul says in Titus chapter 1. And yet we accuse him of lying through our unbelief. And God's way of handling that can be incredibly patient and kind. God, God is so gracious with us in, in all kinds of multiple ways. We might discover again and again in our lives his his great gentleness and patience and long-suffering with children who won't trust him and yet it's not because he doesn't notice it's not because it doesn't hurt as it were or offend him the Lord speaks strongly in some places you see for example in Numbers uh, chapter 14 verse 14 where where God confronts his people for the way they they did not trust him at the point of entering into Canaan he says to them how long will you hold me in contempt how long will you hold me it's it's fascinating to see the way it's from, from god's side of the fence from on the receiving end of our unbelief god is is pained god is misjudged god is dishonored by our unbelief and that's no small matter we should be concerned about those things which Cause the name of the living God to be brought into dishonour. Our unwillingness to trust him is not a neutral thing. When you say to God, I cannot trust you, friends, that's, that's not a of marginal concern. That's not a small, trivial matter. It's, it's about your whole relationship to him. He yearns to see you grow in this. And secondly, that's not the only reason it's important. Let me also say... It's important that we learn to trust God because the other disorders in our lives are downstream from our distrust towards God. The fact that you and I cannot trust him, when we cannot trust him, when we fail to show faith towards him, well, go back to the verse from Galatians chapter 5 that I quoted. Paul saying in verse 16, he says, the only thing that matters is faith. That works through love. That works through love. Now that's a that's a very instructive phrase, and, and it's it's borne out by all kinds of other places in scripture where you see the relationship between what we believe, who we believe, and the, the impact on our loves, the way we love, the things we love, the, the order of our loves, the hierarchy of our loves, where the loves of our lives fit on the league table of our hearts. If you trust the Lord with all your heart you will love him and you will love the things of God, you will love the ways of God and the things that you love will will speak out what you believe. What you trust, what you believe affects your heart. It's, It's upstream and what you love is downstream from what you believe. The key uh, the deep root of the fall, the deep root of our our uh, deepest uh, folly and struggle and problem as human beings, the thing that has caused us all of our horror and misery, sorrow, separation from God, sin, death, guilt, shame, all of the things that have, have uh, afflicted us and afflicted each one of us as human beings, the root, the, the very beginning, was the whisper. Did God really say this? Can you trust Him effectively? Can you trust the words of God? Those were the word, those were the deceptive whispers of God's enemy, trying to lure us away. At the very beginning, at the primal point of human experience, in in millennia gone by, we were lied to about whether God is trustworthy. And it has resulted in all the disorders of our hearts ever since. Everything that we've craved and longed for inordinately. The things we've loved that we shouldn't have loved. Things that were despicable but we desired anyway. The things that you've craved and and been very motivated about but you shouldn't have been. Or even the things that you should have desired, you should have loved but you couldn't care less about. You couldn't. These, these maladies of the heart, we, we, our longings, our cravings, our desires, they are downstream from whether or not we trust him. Our faith works itself out by our loves. And this is uh, certainly uh, Jacob's story. His, his w- unwillingness, it would seem, to trust God results in, in a kind of, well, the way he's concerned, the things that he loves, the, the, the flip side of that is the things that he fears What your heart goes towards in love is also shown by the things that your heart is repulsed by. It's like the the workings of a magnet. You know, a magnet either draws in or it pushes away. Any child uh, playing with his or her first magnet will will know that strange combination of forces, the, the, the draw factor and the repel factor. Our hearts are like that. There are things they love, there are things that they fear. Jacob's fears are on display here. He is predominantly concerned about his brother, about his past, about the threat of danger. These are the things that really dominate his mind to the point where he has completely forgotten God. He's most concerned about Esau. And because he's most concerned about his brother Esau, he begins to appeal to God as primarily an alleviation for the thing that most concerns him. God then becomes a kind of a cosmic butler. Well, I need God because I need him to deal with the things that I most desire or most fear. These are the things I really want, and these are things I really don't want, so God, your job is to guide me away from those and towards those. This is this is what how God shows up as a as basically a, a means to an end in my life and, and, and so jacob 's heart he doesn 't really understand this at this stage, but he 's reduced God phenomenally, and we do this, we do this subtly all the time, and we, we don't necessarily realize I, I've noticed as a pastor very often when people want to talk to me about uh, what what they need prayer for what they need help with and very often it's 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 genuine stuff that you can understand the concern i, I mean a, a classic thing would be when somebody's got an addiction problem i just need to get this addiction dealt with i've fallen into a, a behavioral habit that seems to have control over me and i need to, i just it's it's become such an inconvenience it's become such a, a pain in my life it's 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 ruining all kinds of other things Relationships, finances, I'm in debt, you know, all because of this stupid addiction. I just need to get free of this addiction. And so the, the appeal is pray for me so that the addiction will go away. I Pray for me so that this problem will go away. That's the problem. Deal with the problem, then I can carry on with my life as before. I can proceed unmolested because, well, the, 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 the issue's gone, the problem's gone. And sometimes as a pastor, what, my job is to say, do you know what, this thing here, That's not really the problem. That's not the problem that you think it is. I'm not saying it's good. An addiction, yeah, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. But it's not the main thing. It's not. It actually isn't. The main thing is you and God. (laughs) The main thing is your heart towards God, your attitude towards God. You've not even realised this, perhaps. You've not understood that... You could you could actually get free completely from the apparent the you know the Esau, the problem, that that the habit. You could be free from it and still be walking into cold, bleak, lonely darkness away from God, the only one who knows and loves you in the way you're supposed to be known and loved. You're still you're still not seeing the greatest danger, the greatest threat to your well-being is your cold distance from God is your heart of antipathy the magnetic push in your heart from God and so fear the right thing desire the right thing ask for a recovery of your true heart learn to see what's really going on Jacob is still in this journey it would seem he's still learning what to dread and what to trust what to what to rest content in and what to see as this this is in God's hands this doesn't this this thing is in God's hands, I can trust him about this. I've seen enough, I've heard enough, I've learned enough, I've I've got too many reasons now to be sure that he means well for me, that he's got my life in his hands, he cares about the details, he's working the path out, he's working all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. He has a great purpose for my life and for the, the, the universe and I have, I have so much basis for hope because of that. And I can trust him, I can trust him. It's what God wants to achieve in us. God help us to learn what Jacob perhaps took a long time to learn. How how does God train us? How did God train Jacob? Let's look at this. First of all, does Jacob learn, do we learn from experience, spiritual experiences on their own? And by that, I guess I'm talking about things like angelic visitations, visions and dreams, even dramatic interventions and answers to prayer. Jacob's had all of those. That's his story. You may remember as we've gone through, he's had repeated examples of God breaking in dramatically, miraculously, (laughs) unmistakably. It's the living God. It's the God of his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham, showing up again and again, and it just keeps happening. And it's dramatic, and it's exciting, and it's inspiring, and it's kind of mystical. And wow, were you there when you saw the staircase and the angels and the? I just phenomenal. God broke in when Laban was trying to trick me, and God prospered me against all of the. I mean, God just met when I was escaping Laban, and God spoke to Laban, and even the angels at the top of chapter 32. All the these reasons surely because I've had experiences of God I will always trust God no not yet it doesn't quite follow notice Jacob still his heart isn't mended just by spiritual experiences now I I thank God for spiritual experiences I, I pray for them I pray for them for you I want every one of us to know more experience of his closeness of his voice of his visions and dreams his power in our lives Oh, for more of the genuine knowledge and experience of God in our midst but bear in mind, that in itself doesn't guarantee that we grow in trust and faith. In fact, the practical reality can be quite the opposite. I can think, I could name people to you, tragic people to you, even people in this book and people in my life, people living and dead that I've known, who had experiences of God that I would, I would actually long for. I would say, they went further than me, it would seem. And yet now they seem to be nowhere with God. They don't trust God now any more than they did before the experience. And, and that's true here. We've got other biblical examples of that. And so God, God doesn't reduce his working to our, in our lives to simple visitations, as it were, and angelic experiences. God does more. In the case of Jacob, God puts him through training. In fact... Specifically, God puts him through difficulty. God puts him through struggle. God causes Jacob to wrestle. He trains him. And we know this from other examples in Scripture. Think about it. Think about the way Jesus trained people. And Jesus did. He was a trainer. He was a coach. He was the coach par excellence. If you want to know how to be a mentor and a coach to somebody, you've probably got a lot to learn from Jesus' model. He He particularly trained 12 individuals, 12 apostles, that he gathered to himself for full-time training for three and a half years. They were together 24-7 all of that time. And Jesus invested in them devotedly so that they would be prepared and trained for being sent out to represent him all across planet Earth. Jesus was a master trainer. But the way that he trained people would be so counterintuitive for us I mean it's it's just fascinating he puts them in a boat he says go to the other side of the lake he sends them away sends them away he sends them by the way into a storm knowingly sends them into a storm another occasion he goes with them into a storm okay so you know at least he went with them that time but he fell asleep and he stayed asleep while the waves were getting taller than the boat and they were all convinced they were going to drown. Jesus knew what he was doing, planned it again and again. He, he, he gathered a crowd of over 5,000 people, way over 5,000 people, without any catering plan, zero catering plan at all in the wilderness he said, right, we're going to gather, you know, who knows, maybe 10, 15, 20,000 people, all hanging around. Jesus and his disciples are the, the lead committee. You know, everyone's watching, looking to them for the provision. I think you're in charge of this excursion. You know, we've come out to, you know, Glastonbury equivalent. Uh, you guys are running the whole rig, right? Uh, where, are the, where are the food trucks? Where are the burgers? Where are the hot dogs? It's, no hot dogs, obviously. There was absolutely nothing provided. What was Jesus doing? He actually says in John's Gospel, he kind of goes up to his 12 disciples, he says, oh, there's no food. Huh. Oh, well. It's like he's, he's, he's training. He knows, how to, he knows how to put people under pressure they weren't expecting, into storms, into challenges, difficulties, crowds, troubles, unexpected buffetings, waves, wind, broken sails. <laughs> broken expectations, individuals that he put the back up, powerful people that Jesus offends in front of everybody. And the disciples say, could you just try and offend someone who doesn't matter so much instead of always? Jesus trains us this way. This is God's way. He trains Jacob. He keeps doing it. All his life, Jacob has had to hit problem, challenge, difficulty after difficulty. Jacob, this, this extremely apparently competent fixer who knows how to get the best out of life and trick people from things. He's good at it. He hits problem after problem. He hits difficulty and adversity one after another. And you think, what's going on in this man's life? And it's kind of summarised in this wrestling match with this mysterious stranger at the end of chapter 32. It's, It's like in microcosm. It's like an espresso version of Jacob's whole life. Wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. We need to understand God's way as we read this. We need to understand who God is as we read this. So many people dismiss Christianity, they object to Christianity, because it can't be anything more than than merely sentimental comfort in our difficulty and need. It's a tough universe out there. It's, it's difficult. You know, we've got environmental danger. We've got hyperinflation threatening. And we've got, we've got geopolitical problems. And who knows what else? So you need a comfort blanket. No, you? you need the Bible. You need Jesus. You need the God of the Bible. No, you read this book. Who needs this God of the Bible? Is, he sends us into storms. See, it's, it's not a very good objection against Christianity. If you actually look at, look at Jesus... The real God, the living God of the Bible, is not a comfort blanket. Initially, Martin Luther used to say, he who would have God as his friend must first have him as his enemy. He must. He must be the real God. And the real God, if he gets involved in your life, he will put you through storms. He will put you through things you you weren't expecting. He will. He'll put you through things. You think, what is going on? Why, why has God done this now? This, this is too hard. This is too hard. It's, I just want to quit. This is too difficult. This can't be right. This is not right. This can't be God, You've got it wrong. He'll let these things happen. Even sometimes it seems in response to our developing faith. These 12 disciples, we want to follow Jesus. Yeah, just sign us up. We're, we're excited. We want to be disciples of Jesus. We want to, we're in the, we, are you in the 12 I'm not even in the 70 I'm in the, I'm in the three. You know, there were different tiers. I can imagine guys just, everything was just electrically exciting. After a few weeks, I'm sure the novelty wore off. <laughs> After a few months and years, they're like, yeah, oh, man. Got a few scars being a follower. And Jesus is training them preparing them, but preparing them for wonder, for fruitfulness, for, for the joy of a great harvest, for the joy of great wonderful adventures and privileges of, in their lives, of knowing him, seeing his kingdom, seeing things happen, extraordinary things happen, and having a future hope of being with him eternally. Jesus trains us for good reasons, out of great love for us, but it can feel baffling at the time. When you prayed, I, I remember I've gone through seasons in life where I've I've prayed sometimes intensely, sometimes for a whole season, sometimes fasted. Thank God, please break into my life in a new way, break in, do a new thing in my life, do a new thing in this church, renew us, transform us, prepare us for the future. And I think I know roughly what that might look like. I'm like, oh God, do whatever you want. I'll give you permission to do it. It's so funny how we like giving God permission to do things as if he needed it. And I'm kind of just saying, oh, i just open myself up to you. But I think God takes it seriously when we pray like that sometimes and maybe more than we thought he would and maybe more than we wanted him to because his answer to our prayer can surprise us. God can suddenly jump on us <laughs> he can suddenly wrestle us. God can suddenly put us through a circumstance that leaves us bewildered and exhausted. And we think, God, what what is going on? Just like those disciples in the boat. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Those are their literal words. Don't you care? Ever felt like that with God? Don't you care? He's asleep in the boat. It seems so ridiculous. It seems so grotesque. It's just completely wrong. It's monstrous. No, no, no. No, no, no. (laughs) <laughs> he, he is absolutely the same God about whom it says in the Psalms, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He he's sent Jacob into storm. He sent Jacob into Esau. He sent Jacob into a, a wrestling match. It's because he takes Jacob so seriously. He takes Jacob so earnest. He cares so attentively, so deeply tenderly with such deep generous kind compassion that he's willing to train to train to help to develop to strengthen to raise up this prince that will stand before him God keeps training us through our adversities and what it accomplishes in us is a level of self-awareness we might never have had I was remembering that line from a film from a long time ago 20 years ago Fight Club How much can you really know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? How much can you really know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? God puts us through things that stretch and train us and we start to discover self-awareness. We see our weaknesses. We see what we're really like. We lose the religious face. We lose the pretense and spiritual, religious pretense is the worst pretense in the universe. It's the worst kind of pretense God be praised for delivering us from it, but he does it through putting us through fights, through wrestling, through things that cause us to expend the last ounce of energy, where we feel, I can't cope any longer with this. God is training, God is building metal, stamina, resilience, he's bringing something forth in you. He's doing it because he intends greater things building muscle. He's helping you to perform. He wants destiny in your life. He wants to achieve more. And so learning to take the blows and go with it and wrestle with it. What is God doing in your life now that you're saying, I quit. Enough. I tap out. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done with Jesus. I'm done with this. I'm done with following him. I'm done with it. What are the things in your life that make you want to tap out right now? Could it be that today is the day where God is giving you the chance to see it in a completely different perspective could it be the thing that you've been saying God take this away take this away take this away all the time God has been saying I'm using this to shape and train you to make you to become what you must because my plans for you are so good and my love for you is so total and don't doubt my compassion for you in the midst of the strain God help us to see it with faith, with the eyes of trust, and not with unbelief. So he teaches us self-awareness. He teaches us, like Jacob, I suppose, earlier in the chapter. I don't deserve the things you give me. Notice that in verse 10. He's learning it. He's learning it. And he's going to learn it even more. He he gets to a point of dependence. Dependence on God. He's going to limp away. I find it so moving that he limps away from this encounter. All of his strength and independence seems gone but he's learned truly who to depend upon. He's learning to lean more upon God. He's learning truly in his weakness, God's strength is perfected. I could think of times even recently where I've had to be reminded of that. I, I couldn't have done without being reminded of that. Sometimes God lets you go through seasons where you think, I, I, can, I cannot find a way to rest unless I trust God. <laughs> I can't find a way to be at peace unless I just trust him. Unless I leave it in his hands. Say, God, I'll just take you at your word. You've got this. You've, you've got this. And you you love me. You do. You love me more than I do. You know me better than I do. You hold the future. I think of... Nights where I I might not have slept so well, but for the fact that I just got reminded. I wish this happened every time I struggled to sleep. Maybe this is your journey. God's going to help you to learn to rest and sleep again as you learn to just hear His whisper in the night of God saying, Trust me. Trust me. Think back of all the things that have gone well. Sometimes we become so foolish. Like Jacob, we, we rely on our strength and our own abilities. We think we've achieved everything we've got. We haven't. The things that I've Managed to achieve in my life the things that I think I've been good at. God, I felt, reminded me recently, told me to look back at them, look back at them. And I kept thinking of all the different things that I might chalk up as achievements. And it was laughable. I mean, they all just fell like sand before me. And behind it, it was like I could see the smiling face of Jesus, all done by him. (laughs) It was all his gift, it was all his grace. And it helped me to sleep, it helped me to get fresh perspective. So far he has led me, he will lead me further. He will lead you further. He will lead you further. So Jacob's learning stamina, he's learning self-awareness, he's learning dependence on God, and he's ultimately learning who he should fear. Who do you fear? Jacob's been terrified of the approach of his brother, and now he learns, no, there's someone I should fear more. And he's come to see but face-to-face exposure. And he's been allowed to encounter the living God of all the things we should be afraid. Jesus said, I'll tell you what you should be afraid of. Don't don't be afraid of anyone who can can harm you, anything that you normally are frightened of, anything hiding under the bed, anything that might freak you out, anything that might be out there in the dark. is nothing compared to the, the terror factor of the living God. And yet this living God who wrestles us in the dark is the one who wrestled for us in the dark, (laughs) the one who suffered for us, the one who loves us utterly, completely, the one who took the scars, the one who who is so totally, utterly committed to us that actually to fear him is to know true comfort. It's why the Bible says in 1 John chapter four, perfect love casts out all fear. Jacob, are you afraid of your brother Esau? you should be more afraid of me, but you know what? Coming to fear God means learning to find true peace, true comfort. His love casts the fear out. Jacob's going to discover in the next chapter, God had it all along. God had it. He had it all along. None of Jacob's machinations, none of the things Jacob did, all the gifts he sent ahead, all of his clever moves to try and placate and pacify his brother, all the things he tried to do to fix his future, they made no difference. They made no difference. God had it all under control. It's not to say that we don't have a part to play or things that we can do to show love, to reconcile, to extend. By by all means, we must but no, ultimately it's God, it's God, it's God who controls our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the peace provided through his death and resurrection. Help us to live in the good of his abiding care, his intercession, his compassion for us. In his name we pray, amen. Amen.